Welcome to the Always Evolving Podcast. This is a podcast about living an awake, aware, conscious life. It's about recognizing that our lives are a product of the choices that we make, and the ripple effects of those choices impact our families, our communities, and the world. So let's choose wisely. If it helps to evolve us as individuals, then we will likely cover it at some point on this podcast. Because, after all, we are always evolving, and in all ways. I'm your host, Erica Boucher. I want to introduce today's guest, Dr. Michael Brandt de Maria. Michael has over 30 years of experience as an integrative psychologist and meditation teacher. He is also a yoga teacher, adjunct professor, best-selling author, and four-time Grammy-nominated musician. In fact, the music for this very podcast is a clip from one of his albums that he was gracious enough to give me permission to use. I love his music. You're definitely going to want to check it out. I use his music in my yoga classes all the time. Michael currently practices integrative wellness and soul guidance with people from around the world and from his home base on the Florida Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. His passion is weaving together his love of nature, creativity, and spirituality into unique, dynamic, and healing experiences for individuals and groups. You can find out more about him at www.michaeldemaria.com. D-E-M-A-R-I-A.com. And his online program is www.alldaypeace.com. So I also want to say that I have worked with Michael. He's my go-to guy when I need somebody to hold the space for me. And one of the things that I think has kept me connected with you, Michael, and has made you so special for me in my life is how genuinely heart-centered your work is. There's a whole lot of positive psychology and positive thinking stuff out there. There's plenty of that if you want to find it. But for me, I need something that's real and authentic and heart-centered. And you are the best person I know really to go to for something like that. So I just want to thank you for being the presence that you are in the, in the world. Bless your heart, Erica. It's such a joy to be here with you. So honored to be part of, of your um, next chapter and, and interviewing me. And uh, you know I feel the same way about you. I mean, we've known each other. I mean, goodness, we seems like going on 20 years, but between 15 yeah. and 20. It's yeah, been, for sure. It's been a while, and I, I've always was moved with your empath yoga. And I think both being empaths and what I like to think of as a heart-centered, soul-oriented, being-level approach to health and healing. Many people think of the heart as simply a positive place, but the heart is also, it takes us down as much as it takes us up. You know, as you know, that the Anahata chakra with the two triangles, one is taking energy up and outward, the other takes us inward and downward. And that's the move that our culture is so resistant to doing and something you and I both share that if we're not doing that, we're not really showing up. You are so right. This is why I love talking with you. Mm -hmm. Because 
you know, I think what's happened, and today we're going to talk about a topic that's really important to me, which is spiritual bypassing. And in fact, I think you're the first person I actually heard use that phrase. And it was an immediate relief to me to know that there was a phrase for it. There was a term because I was trying to put into language something that I was seeing and that I was struggling with. And I know that other people were struggling with. I think what's happened is that before people start their spiritual journey or their journey of awakening or whatever you want to call it, there's this sense of maybe feeling a little bit stuck, heavy, powerless, everything feels negative. It just feels like we may be a little bit hopeless. And then somewhere along the way, something opens us up and we embark on this new spiritual journey where everything starts to feel more expansive. And we recognize the power of choice and that we are at cause in our lives based on the thoughts that we are choosing to feed. And I think what has happened, like anything else in life, you know, the pendulum swings, tends to swing from one extreme to the other. I think what's happened is the spiritual movement has become popularized by some teachings that, in essence, it's almost just another way of avoiding feeling anything that feels like discomfort. Mm. And And it's been kind of a frustration of mine. Like I get the value of movies like The Secret. It feels good. It feels empowering that all you have to do is visualize something and that (laughs) shiny red bicycle is going to appear on your doorstep. Yes. And I get the law of attraction. You know, I have a hypnotherapy background. I get that our minds are incredibly creative. And there's the heart piece in there. And I love that about you and your work is that that's what I love is you keep it real. So what have you run into in your work? I mean, how much of this is present for you? Oh, just deeply. And there's so many, so many layers to this. And, and you're absolutely right. With, you know, this happened, this hap- seems to happen at every, every period of, of history. But in particular, I think with the internet and, and the ability to market the, the feel good. and we are really in the midst of a very soulless, heartless culture. And that even when you hear a lot about mind, body, you hear about mind, body, spirit, but you don't hear heart and soul outside of a music, right? Um, right. And part, part of the problem with this is exactly what you bring up is, you know, the dangers of positive psychology or the dangers of even mindfulness, which is a very poor description of the the original meaning of the Chinese and Japanese character and the original intent of what Buddha was talking about, which is would have been better translated as mindful heartfulness or heartful mindfulness, that for them, mind and heart are very deeply connected. So the ego is very sweetened that to, to imagine that it can just visualize what it wants. <laughs> and, and so the law of attraction, yes, there are deep subtleties to it that are completely overlooked. And there's so much more going on. And part of that is, I think, what's been important for me, and that's even in music, you know, new age music, which is the genre I work in, can be saccharine. You know, it can, and it got a bad 
name in the 90s and even at times now because it can be a bit too saccharine, a little too sweet, right? Mm-hmm. What drew me to the Native American flute and all my music is basically in minor keys. And I think one of the reasons you might connect with it too is that the bitter sweetness of the Native American flute, the mournful call of the soul. You know, this year is the 25th anniversary of, of my vision quest, which I think was one of the things that drew us together, just the knowing people in common that have taken that path. And mm-hmm. even the word vision quest is a Western anthropological creation. The Native American term, the Lakota term, Hemblechape, means the lament or lamentation. And you don't call anything until you ask where you're called. So the idea is the ego co-ops a lot of the feel-good law of attraction kind of ideas and differentiating between the mind, the egoic mind, and the soulful heart is absolutely essential because the idea from a earth-centered, heart-centered, soul-oriented, being-level approach that we're talking about you find this in indigenous culture a lot is that each of us have a soul that's like an acorn. It has a, an instinct, a direction, an image, a gift that's born in the deepest inmost center of our hearts. And the idea is to find a way to, to open that, that no matter where you plant that acorn, it's like an acorn, its direction is to become an oak tree. So if you have an oak tree, but the ego wants to be an apple tree <laughs> and is keep trying to attract apples or I'm going to be an apple tree. And this is the problem when it's coming from the mind. And that's when, when people say, and even goes deeper than this, when people say this goes to the Cartesian dualism, Aristotelian logic, which I have an issue of all the way back 2,500 years of patriarchal dominator culture, there's a way in which we're masters of our destiny as opposed to our destiny is a twist of faith deep locked inside. And we actually have to go into our heartbreak. The heart has to be broken open for our soul to emerge. And we must be curious and open to the mystery of who we are and discover what kind of tree am I, which is a very different question than what do I want to be, which we don't ask in our culture. Mm-hmm. So, so this goes to the very deepest heart and roots of what is actually misguided and wrong in the entire bulwark of Western culture. The soul follows a serpentine path, or you know, my medicine name is ever flowing on, the idea of the river of life, that the soul unfolds like a river. It is not a straight line. The egoic mind likes straight lines, but there are no straight lines in nature. So it's this twisting, turning, beautifully serpentine unfolding that we each are like the roots of a tree or the branching of a tree. And when we really honor this kind of deep complexity and deep mystery at the heart of each human life and relationship, then we start awakening soul. And we actually actually take our time more, we become more humble, we get more, we get on our knees and cry and ask for direction as opposed to what do I want to be? It can be very dangerous to simply say, change your thoughts, change your reality. Um, I'm finished with this. I know I've said a lot right now, but I've been wanting to say this ever since you began talking. You 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 hear so much in our culture or even in our basic major religions, you know, in the beginning was the word. 
there was a great French writer, Celine, who said, no, in the beginning was emotion. And we know this is true. Feeling and emotion precedes all thoughts. Mm. And that's a return to the heart, which is also the egalitarian, more goddess or matriarchal or earth-centered traditions before the alphabet and written language and the sword took over. It's so true. Every time I have experienced true growth in my life in any direction, it was after I was humble enough and brought to my knees and really had to feel deeply Mm. some sort of grief. Yes. And there's so much richness and beauty in that. I can't imagine just trying to muscle my way through my life just by the power of thought alone. I don't think that's a sustainable way of being in the world. It certainly isn't for me. It's not. But I think of every time, every time I've really gotten an epiphany or a realization or a true aha moment or a really powerful paradigm shift, it's always come only after I've gone deep into whatever pain I was feeling, whatever struggle I was resisting, and gave myself permission to come out on the other side of it by fully welcoming it and embracing it. Because I I do believe that our natural organic state is to return to a place of love and peace and connection. But that happens organically because we do that deep inner work, not because we've just decided to choose positive thinking. (laughs) Amen. Exactly. And that's the spiritual bypass. That's exactly spiritual bypassing by jumping over the messiness. Um, One of my teachers would say that there's these three levels. You could think of them as like the surface of the earth, the mantle of the soil of the earth, and then the hot red core. And if you think of the, the top part as the polite place of, you know, and there's a time for being polite. We can't always be deep and intense all the time. So the day-to-day world often, you know, we have to you know, use just the pol- politeness of, of everyday life. Then at the deepest core, that real sense of true, profound interconnectedness is really like the molten core of the earth. It's that fire of oneness, the fire of a sense of deep penetrating connection and compassion and divine unconditional love. But to go from there to the other, you've got to go through the soil, which is the greed, the envy, the hurt, the hate, the jealousy, the, the disappointment, the betrayal, the, all of these aspects of breaking open and breaking out of that superficial veneer to realize this deep inner complexity. Because if we're just striving for unity without really honoring tremendous, the tremendous diversity and multiplicity of ourselves and each other and life itself, then we're betraying that unity becomes like a brown mud. It's not like the peacock's tail or the rainbow. And so this is a real issue that it's as important to honor our differences as it is to honor our similarities. And and I think this is another spiritual bypass by, which can really get a lot of empaths in trouble, right? Because Mm -hmm. we can surrender our will and because we will value connection and relatedness so much, we can betray our voice, betray our difference, betray who we are in our essence. And yo, you want me to be an apple tree? Okay, I'll be an apple tree, even though deep down inside, you know, you're an oak tree. So, Mm. So these are, I think, particularly for empaths, 
this is, a, or in Myers-Briggs, we call it intuitive feeler, or what I like to say, an artist healer. It's really essential that you honor your truth, you honor your voice, and you honor your, your soul. Mm. Gosh, it's so important. I'm, I'm so happy that we're having this conversation. Me too. You know, even in my yoga teacher trainings, you know, people come to a yoga teacher training and they want it to be positive and uplifting and empowering and transformational. And it is all of those things. But if I'm doing my job right, it's, it's all of those things because we are owning our authentic experience, even the pain. And sometimes people are really quick to, you know, spiritually bypass. They're really quick to jump over the pain and immediately start looking for that silver lining. Mm. And I think once we give ourselves permission to get real, get honest, feel what we need to feel, then we can look at our experience and say, okay, what is the gift in this? What, what is beautiful about this experience? What can I glean from this? But we don't even get there until we feel that grief first, right? But in, even in my teacher training, some people really resist this because they want to fly high. In fact, I've had people, when I do the teacher trainings, we spend a full day on each chakra. And when we start with that root chakra and we go deep, I have had people tell me, I don't like this chakra. I don't, I don't like this at all. I don't want to feel and be in my body and go deep into the earth and all of that. And it's fascinating because one of the things I have to teach is that all of the chakras are part of who we are, like all of this. It's not just yes. all floating around in the ethers. It's not all <laughs> rainbows and butterflies. This is real too. It's the denial of death. It's the denial of suffering. It's the denial of the dark side of life. It's the de denial of aging and illness that we have yeah, a tremendous avoidance of the truth of death. Right here, you know, I have my death whistle made by a shaman from Mexico. I have my my Kali beads, uh, skull beads. I have Shiva. I also have Mary of the inexhaustible cup of love too, of these honoring the, uh, I even have my, two of my beads I wear are uh, Kali skull beads because of the importance for me of, of impermanence and suffering, not by conditioning yourself not to feel it, but actually to, you know, there's a lot of death meditations, both in the vision quest process. So last night, often you'll visualize being on your deathbed and putting a call out to, you know, those on both sides, the veil, you know, to have your last conversations with. And, and also there are a lot of um, Buddhist and, and even St. Francis, there's a, he would meditate with a skull that where you meditate on everyone you love becoming sick, old, ill, and dying. Imagining your body going back to dust in the earth, and and these kind of things deepen us and and accompanying people. You know this this newest album. You know Ama is was, as you know, honoring my mother, accompanying her on a three year battle with cancer, and and being very much what it felt like a midwife of her soul. You know the other side, and and to sit in that suffering day in and day out was tremendously painful, difficult, challenging, and deepening, heart-opening, and soulful, soul-enriching. So these things feed the soul. You know, the old idea was that the soul was as much in love with the body as it was in spirit. 
that the body is like earth and the spirit is like air and the soul is like water. And that, that that's why I love also the Anahata chakra of the energy moving inward and downward, down into the earth and then upward and outward. The most powerful image of this, of course, is the tree, you know, and to not grow up any more than you're growing down. And that we're doing this pendulating between growing down and growing up every year. You know, with spring and summer, there's growth upward and outward. And then fall and winter, we go inward and downward. And we do this every day. I mean, sleep is an inward downward motion. You know, so listening, ways of cultivating soulfulness and heart centeredness, you know, is also listening to dreams, listening to what's happening on the edge of your consciousness. That real soul work is not heroic in the way ego consciousness tends to be very heroic and will based, <laughs> ascending the mountain. And, and there's a time for that. But usually by our, you know, 30s and 40s and 50s, that very willfulness begins to wane. And you see it in people's eyes if they haven't learned to shift and begin to go down the river and trust the larger movements of the soul. They, they age much more quickly they, or they get embroiled in addictions because they're, they're exhausting themselves with the will all day, not listening to their souls. And then they will have, uh, they'll indulge in surface desires, which are hiding the deeper needs of the soul. So sometimes that would show up as a midlife crisis in some people. Oh, yes. What in fact I call a predictable midlife transition. Jung would say the first half of your life, you have to answer the question, what does the world ask of me? The second half of your life, you have to answer the question, what does my soul ask of me? You cannot live your second half of your life the same way you lived the first half. It, it's, there's always going to have to be a shift from your vocational social identity to a deeper soul-based identity. And I, yeah, I would love to have part of my work in Antos, which means being my, my practice, but also Antos World Press and Antos Music. Antos is an acronym for me of the ongoing numinous tracking of soul and that we should have a school of midlife. I think you know, yoga teacher training is very much a school for, um, a, you know, it's not, now it's happening not just at midlife, but quarter life and third of life, which is actually where it should be happening. This podcast is brought to you by my book and life coaching program, Showing Up Naked. Showing up naked is a metaphor for living so authentically, it's like you're showing up naked. It's about breaking free of the social conditioning, becoming comfortable in our own skins, liberated from the need to ask for permission to be ourselves. Find out more at showingupnaked.com. And by the Empath Yoga 200-Hour Lifestyle Training. Built upon and including the Showing Up Naked program, it's the Showing Up Naked program that puts the empath in empath yoga. For those who want to teach yoga or simply make yoga a more integral part of their daily lives, visit empathyoga.com. You know, actually in indigenous cultures, this would happen between 15 and 25. You'd have a soul initiation and you'd begin to begin to really dive deep down into what kind of tree am I? What, did, what fruit did I come here to bear? And until we answer that question, we are, as Goethe says, lonely strangers wandering the planet. Mm. Yeah, I think 
And this may be true in your work with people, but it seems like so much of the time when people come to me, there's a part of them that's feeling kind of lost. They're really looking for some purpose, some reason for their existence, some uh, to make sense of why they're here. And I think you're absolutely right. It's because that's not really built into our social I don't know. It's not con- built into our conditioning. It's not. We don't have a rite of passage. That doesn't ever happen in our culture. So we have to. We stumble our way there until finally things get uncomfortable enough and awkward enough that we start saying, "Okay, something's wrong." <laughs> yes. I got to look deeper. I got to go within because I can't maintain this anymore. And so exactly. you're right. It, no matter what, I think A Course in Miracles says you can come now or you can come later, but eventually you're going to come because yes. ultimately it's all leading us back to the heart, back to soul. And we Amen. can fight it if we want, but ultimately that's the only place to go. Amen. Yeah. And that's the place where people can resist it for decades, but particularly with mortality and being on a deathbed, some people don't face it till they become terminally ill or face their deathbed or the death of a loved one, that it all of a sudden, all of that social vocational identity built upon our extroverted thinking, materialistic, egocentric culture just, just falls apart. And, you know, as the old saying goes, what gains a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? You know, nothing. And what gains a man if he loses everything but gains his soul? Everything. Mm-hmm. So, so that sense, and you're right, our educational system actually is designed to keep us away from our soul. So our educational system and our culture at large, including corporation and, and government and patent-driven pharmaceutical industry is created from the industrial revolution of really creating cogs and industrial machine. I mean, that's the origin of our educational system in Western culture. And it's getting worse and worse with getting rid of art and music and, and the, they're cutting, you know, it's just, it's just horrifying because all the things that feed the soul and our suicide rates are going up nationally and worldwide. A million people a year commit suicide right now in, on the planet. Wow. You know, this is something that's devastating. I hear every day, every week situations you know, kids who are top of the class finishing a, a residency in pediatrics or obstetrics and have a, you know, everything looks great on the outside and then they hang themselves or, or put a gun to their head on, you know, the yeah. Air Force base. So this is, these are longings of the soul. Every, every mass shooting is a soul who has been aborted or, yeah. or, or stillborn. So we have a tremendous problem, the deep estrangement from nature, from our hearts, and from each other. And, and to me, it really starts with our estrangement from, from nature itself. You know, the big lie of the last thousand, few thousand years is somehow we are different and separate and have dominion over nature. The vision quest is designed for, for you to experience your full membership in the natural world. The soul is a child of nature. The ego is a child of culture. And so until we embrace and own our natural, true inheritance, which is actually wild, not in the sense of out of control, but non-cultural, pre-cultural. And, and this is a critical part of our, the great turning on the planet to, to bring us back to our roots in nature and begin to learn in a more sustainable, integrated way. And all the deep wisdom traditions of the world have known this, Taoism, Buddhism, and you find it in 
mystical Christianity and the forms of St. Francis and St. Teresa. And you find it in the Sufi traditions of Islam and the Kabbalah of Judaism. You know, the understanding of the deep interconnectedness and how we are part and parcel of nature. So I, if I think with my head, I'm very pessimistic. When I feel with my heart, I'm extremely optimistic. Mm. It seems like humans will come to the very precipice until we then wake up and shift our ways. And we do this individually. You know, I was just going to say that. Right? <laughs> right? Um, I, I love the quote by Jung when he says, uh, you know, yes, uh, when somebody comes to me and says, oh, I just got a promotion or I just inherited a million dollars or I'm getting married or I'm having a child or I just won this great award. He'd say, well, you know, if we can just keep our heads about us, maybe we can get through this with nothing bad happening. And, <laughs> and when they would come to him and say, I'm at the end of my rope, I feel like committing suicide, I'm losing my mind, I can't go any further, I've lost my job, I'm getting divorced, I have a terminal illness. He would say, yeah, good. Let's open a bottle of champagne. Now we will really learn something about who we really are. Oh, I love you know? it. Now we so, can get started. <laughs> yes, right. So it's, it's, and I really feel we have to shift that we have to, it, and that's an awareness of soul. That soul is found in the dark. Mm. The roots of the tree, it's found in the night, in the dreams, in the hidden places in our heart that are dying to be broken open. Broken heart is an open heart. So, and a breakdown is always a breakthrough if it's seen and given love and a divine context. Right, right. And unfortunately, the way our society currently handles a breakdown is heavily medicated, which kind of keeps, can keep someone just stuck in that place of feeling like they have no control and they're just kind of stuck in this, this raw, horrifying place rather than actually being able to have that breakthrough. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, it's, you know, there's a lot of other ways to use nutrition and holistic health to give people enough support so they can at least, it's manageable so they can do the work. It's not that I'm anti-medication, but I'm extremely, extremely conservative and I practice a form of uh, targeted amino acid supplementation and neuronutrition and and yoga meditation and deep sleep and exercise to help people through those periods. But to mask the symptoms, to mask, to assume there's something wrong when actually deep emotional feelings. Um, I, you know, I can I'm thinking of a woman who did a vision quest with me many many years ago. This is twenty twenty five years ago, and. She had lost her son, who he, her son was murdered, and, and it was a terrible, terrible thing. And, and everybody was telling her about medication. She came to me and I, I said, you certainly can. And if you need to, if you, if you need to, it's there. And for you to fully feel and go through this, it will change you. And there will be something that you will give birth to that you can't without fully experiencing it. And she chose that. She, she tells that story to sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, I've done groups and she's come as a senior student and she'll see, she said, you know, when I left that day, I, I really thought he was a masochist or a sadist. You know, he's like, how could he, <laughs> how could he suggest that? But I can tell you those two, three, four years of working with him, I am a different person. And I, you know, birthed my soul and found my soul name and my heart in connection to my son 
are tremendous and it wouldn't have happened without that. You know, the Cherokee say the longest journey we'll ever make is from our head to our hearts. And that in grief, what's happening is that when we lose a loved one, and this has happened both with my grandmother and my mother, that they say the reason we grieve is grief is like the rain. It's always a sign of bringing soul back and, and something healing. That what's happening is we're missing that physical pattern of connecting. And so the grief is literally building a bridge, a rainbow bridge between our heart in this world and their heart in the other world. And if you don't enter into that grief, you will not build that bridge and will not then create a spiritual pattern of connecting that is literally as true and powerful as, and more so in some ways, because they are present in a way through their absence that would not be possibly possible when they're embodied in their earth suit on the planet. Mm. So this is, this is you know really deep understanding that there is an unseen world that our natural scientific materialistic reductionistic sciences have really really missed the boat on and this unseen world is is revealed deeply through our the emotional uh, lens of the heart mm, it's so true wow what what a beautiful way of putting all of that michael you know a, a friend of mine when his mother passed and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry for your loss. And he said, you know, it's okay. Now I have access to her all the time. Yes. Yes. And I thought that was so beautiful. And, you know, I'm realizing as we're talking that we may have lost, there might've been several people that have signed off because they're like, man, all they're talking about is death and grief <laughs> and, and pain. And, but I think what's so important is that to recognize that this is where the beauty and the richness comes from, because we it is at that soulful living. There's a section in my book called There is Beauty in Death. Yes. And I remember a friend of mine uh, who's just amazing. She's just so sharp and like powerful and clear and positive. And I remember her saying, man, I really had a hard time with that section. Like I, I realized there was a part of me that was really resisting that whole section. And I think you're right. Being able to have a reverence and an appreciation for the, the, the passage that that is and recognizing that just because the, the physical body is not here anymore, doesn't mean we don't have access to them. It, and, and in some ways we have deeper access because we have soul to soul, spirit to spirit to connection. We're not stuck with ego constructs and, you know, we're not limited by the body. We don't have this belief that, wow, I can only feel this person if I happen to be in front of her and can give her a hug, but we recognize this person is with me always. And that's a, that's a difficult shift, I think, for some of us to make. Uh, everybody, everybody. And, and, yeah. and that's uh, why one way that can help, and you know, I, have a, I love that section of your book, actually. And in my book, I have a whole section on peace within death. And, you know, you, you actually, you're, for those who don't know, your book inspired my Peace Within's format and size and everything. And I just was so tickled to, mm. you know, it was, we both, we both love the artist way as well. And, and so it was, it was great. But let me say that, you know, I had a near death experience when I was seven, I had a number of surgeries and that really ever since I felt death over my shoulder and like I could be whisked away from the planet at any moment. 
And that's made life very difficult in some ways, but it also has made it very deep and moving because I, the, I have never been able to convince myself that death isn't real. So it's so real to me that the death of the body, the death of all, and the death of the ego, because every part of us that resists the conversation are the parts of us that don't pass through the eye of the needle of death. So it really was powerful for me when, you know, the, you know, for Buddhists, particularly Tibetan Buddhists, and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which actually a better translation is, you know, the, the luminous passage of awakening through the in-between, that when you really have convinced yourself and you really know that you will die, the only thing that begins to really matter is the meditation on what part of me, if any part of me, exists after I take that last breath. And that becomes so rich and deep and a, such a powerful inquiry that it'll change you. And the more that happens, the more you find peace in that space and you touch something in you that is so deathless, ageless, and timeless and selfless, you want nothing else because that, that then dissolves all fear of life all fear of experience. And of course, the ultimate fear is death. We could probably see all depression, all anxiety, everything that calls mental illness, some twisted, disfigured form of fear of death. And so to me, it is the most important topic, most important meditation, most important space. The Tibetans, they say that this, the Vajra, the Vajrayana Buddhism is that Vajra, that there's like a liquid crystal at the deepest inmost center of the human heart that is made of the most tender, vulnerable, wisest, most intelligent part of all creation. It is a part of us connected to the divine, unconditioned ground, awakened being. And once we live from that place, which I would also say is the soul, or call it the Buddha nature, we call it Christ consciousness, we call it Atman, whatever you might use as a word, because it is whatever we say about it, it's not it. It's yet we can cultivate it. We can create conditions in where we're more connected to it. And by exploring our griefs, our pains, our depressions, our sadnesses, our anxieties, these are all veiled pieces of the death that can then get us to that place of the deepened, awakened Vajra at the deepest center of the diamond, liquid center of the human heart. Mm. Wow. Beautiful. I just, I love you, Michael. Thank you so I love much. You, you are such a gift <laughs> You're to know. So sweet. <laughs> Likewise, I, I couldn't agree more, Erica. I, my heart lights up whenever um, I see anything from you or we connect or get a chance to talk. Um, and I, I just love you. I love the work you do. And just a, it's a mirror of that deep heart that we like to, or we need to live from. And I just honor that in you. And I honor your work and, and just so appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you. The feeling is so very mutual. Before we wrap up, um, two things. I want to give you a chance to, to tell people about Peace Within and anything you want to talk about before we wrap up. But also, so we've laid out a lot of pretty heavy stuff for people to consider, like the, the way to the deepest, richest, most authentic, true part of ourselves to the soul is through the heart. Mm. So what are a couple of tools to give somebody that's saying, oh, my gosh, OK, where do I begin? First of all, I'd say 
find my book, find your book, you know, reach out to somebody that can kind of support the journey. Yes. Breath work, yoga, spending time in nature, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, all all of those things agree 100%. And to me, um, listening to your dreams, really be drawn to curious what, what parts of nature, what parts of symbols, stories you're drawn to. Um, also connect to your inner child, particularly your preschool age child, your preschool child. You know, finding a picture of you when you were two, three, four years old and really get to know that part of you. Find where there may be some blocks to feeling deeply, unconditionally loving of that part of you. Try to look at the world through those three, four-year-old eyes. Try to find also those things you wanted to be pre-adolescent. So you, then you can also dialogue with that part of you. A, a lot of this is in Peace Within the Soul section of my book, Peace Within. And I also want to make a big, big support of a creative outlet. We talk a lot about it. Yes. We, we all know I want to get people exercising. I want to get them meditating and doing yoga. But I also want to try, everybody has a need for creative outlet. Everyone is an artist in some way. That can be cooking. It can be gardening. It can be dancing. It can be painting. It can be drawing. It can be get off the computer if you can get unplug digitally detox and find some way both exercise and creativity outside is great or at least your inner nature freeform journaling is another one don't go back and reread it it's about the process not the product it's about the current not the context get things flowing get things moving and and allow that flow of experience to move through you and imagine yourself as an unfolding river and not an object in space. Mm, perfect. I, I love it. I love everything. Every time you say something, I'm thinking ditto. Yes, yes. Agreed. Mm. 100%. And, and I love that, especially the creative outlet. I, I've said before, if I'm not creating, something's gone wrong. You should check on me. <laughs> yes. You should yes, check on me because sure. something's gone wrong or it's going to start showing up that something's gone wrong pretty soon. Yes. yes. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, if I don't create, I get depressed and psychotic. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too. Michael, you're amazing. So your book is uh, most recent book, right? Is Peace Within. Mm-hmm. Yes, quiet your mind, open your heart, embrace your soul, and heal your life. And it is also the textbook for my program, Peace Within. Uh, the online healing retreat, which is a really deep dive with over 60 videos of where I guide people through the practices in the book and then go another step further, almost like you were on a personal retreat with me or a yoga or a meditation class with me. And my other books, Ever Flowing On, was the one I wrote after my vision quest. I came out in 2001, which is a really wonderful introduction to my work and a lot of the things we've talked about, moving from the source to the abyss to the quest to the dance. I have my book, Moments, which is a book of poetry. And, and of course, you know, I've got nine CDs of my music and people can create a free Pandora, Michael Brandt Di Maria station or on Spotify. And you can touch some of this music because for me, it's all one thing. And I try to, to channel everything we've been talking about into my music. Um, as you know, there's kind of a poignancy, a, a dancing of inner and outer, light and dark, life and death, and, and trying to really find beauty in the suffering you do it beautifully your your music does it makes me feel 
all the notes in a beautiful way. And so thank you. Thank you so much, Michael, for taking the time and allowing me to interview you and sharing your gifts with all of us. Nothing but a joy. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Always Evolving. Please feel free to share this episode with anyone you think might appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this podcast, let me know by giving me a five-star rating and help our ranking so we can reach more people who might be inspired by our message. Until next time, remember, our lives are a product of the choices that we make. Choose wisely.